0: Welcome to a new year of Patriotic Pulpit. I am Bill Lockwood. Thank you for listening today. I want to talk for a few moments about the the moral rot that is taking place in America. You know, we avoid that. We talk about politics. Everybody talks about politics. We talk about the culture a lot. The culture actually has moral roots. That's what a culture is about. But I do want to talk about the moral rot that is taking place in America. And I specifically have in mind the story that broke last fall in November with the fashion house Balenciaga. And there are other fashion houses also that have now recently been exposed as being involved in child pornography, sadomasochism, absolutely ugly material. And there's been a lot of fallout. There's been apologies made by Balenciaga. But I do want to look at, really what's been taking place and how this has perhaps occurred in America. And this is not simply an American company, of course, it's a foreign company, but how that has occurred in our cultures today in the Western culture. And I want to, first of all, refer back to a, a biblical example from Mark chapter seven. Before we go there, the, the point simply is this, that moral rot occurs on the inside. It's like a canker. It's like a cancer that grows on the inside, and it just comes, it comes boiling out and with boils and sores and, and bleeding wounds on the outside. And when that occurs, when when it is visible to a to a person's naked eye, seeing an, a body that is that has been afflicted this way, then you know that that rot, that that cancer, that that ugliness, that that has been taking place for a long time, and it's just now beginning to to show itself and that's exactly what is taking place in the western culture we have this absolute immorality that's occurring and the the morality that we have left behind and it's now beginning to to show itself so in mark chapter 7 what has occurred here is first of all the jewish leadership has criticized the apostles of our lord because They did not wash their hands, which was ritual defilement to them. It wasn't about cleanliness. It was about ritual defilement. They did not wash their hands before they ate. And consequently, they criticized the apostles, and they made the question to our Lord regarding why the apostles didn't wash their hands before they ate bread. Our Lord answered. He said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Because he said, this people's heart is far from me. Uh, uh, Rather, they honor me with their lips, but the heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, the precepts of men. And he went on to point out that all meats are clean. He said, explain to them that it is not that which is from without that goes into the man that defiles him, but that which comes from within, that is that which defiles the man. The disciples didn't really understand that parabolic Statement that our Lord made, and when they were alone in a room, when they were alone away from the crowds, they asked him what this might mean. He said, "Are are you so without understanding? Also, do you not understand? Do you perceive not that that which is from without goes into the man? It cannot defile the man, because it goes into his belly, not into his heart. It goes into his belly and out into what he calls the drought. That is, it just simply passes through the body." And Mark seven tells us this. He said, "Making all meats clean." Let me stop here for a moment. Many people religiously speaking think that they're honoring god by by honoring some kind of eating or dietary code jesus points out that all meats are clean and that would of course go against the grain with the jewish leadership the jewish law at that time of course pointed out that certain meats were unclean but jesus was countermanding that particular law and many people today in religion in christianity so called they suppose also that if they honor dietary laws, they're honoring God. Jesus tells us that is not the case. All meats are clean. But then after that, he pointed out specifically, it is that which is from within that goes out. That is that which defiles the man. And he tells us specifically, for example, and this is that the last of the passage, which is Mark chapter 7, verses 20 and following. He said, that which proceeds out of the man, that is that which defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, evil thoughts proceed. Fornication, thefts, murders, adulteries, covetings, wickednesses, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, railing, pride, foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within. They defile the man. Now, what's the point? The point that I'm making is the same thing is the case regarding a culture. A culture has within itself immorality, and it rises to a particular level, and it just has a a rottenness about it, a, a canker that actually destroys from the inside out. And we're beginning to see it with immorality taking place, and that's exactly what has happened here regarding Balenciaga. Now, let me just point out, this is from the Daily Mail and it's reprinted in the New American. You might be able to find this. You'll be able to find an article by Selwyn Duke. But he points out this high-end clothing brand, Balenciaga, recently promoted pedophilia in advertisements, which included a visible court document about striking down a child porn ban. The company, of course, Balenciaga has since apologized and they nixed the advertising campaign, and they had a lot of statements retracting it. And they claim it's taking legal action against the parties responsible. Let me just stop here for a moment. The parties responsible, as if somehow it was undercover that it was it was not done with their imprimatur, with with their approval. The Daily Mail reported this was now this broke last November, and it was boiling through December. And prior to the campaigns, that is Balenciaga's cancellation of their campaign, the Daily Mail reported this. Mothers have slammed Balenciaga for the disgusting campaign showing children holding teddy bears dressed in bondage gear. Another one says the Spanish fashion brand currently has two images of young children cuddling up with the plush handbags on their website. Then continuing from the Daily Mail, the first photo, On the online store shows a young ginger-haired child standing on a plush pink bed while holding a white teddy bag by its leather strap. As well as having spiky leather bracelets around the bear's arms and legs, the soft toy is dressed in a mesh crop top with chain and padlock around its neck. How do you like that? And the gift shop section of the website features another image of a child standing on a sofa holding a purple furry toy bag. Along with a leather sadomasochism get up, the plush toy is also wearing what looks like a black lace thong. In the background of the image, a blue toy bag has been placed on the side table and is wrapped in a more studded leather bands. And here's what one person said. I thought people were trolling, but nope, it's real. Maybe this is why Balenciaga left Twitter. They don't want to be held accountable. Yes. These are children holding teddy bears dressed in bondage outfits. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it even gets worse than that. Leaving no doubt about the pro-pedophilia message, another photo from the same advertising campaign included a document relating to child pornography tucked under a Balenciaga handbag. The Daily Mail says it this way. Based on the text in the zoomed-in image, Social media sleuths claim the document was from Ashcroft versus free speech coalition. That's a 2002 U.S. Supreme court case, which struck down a ban on virtual child pornography. Now, all of this of course shows us very clearly what's taking place in spite of what Balenciaga's is doing, taking apologizing, retracting it, but it doesn't explain. It does not explain why the designer brand created these plush bear bags and in bondage outfits to begin with. After all, of course, teddy bears are associated with children and especially young girls. And then Balenciaga came back with a second apology relating to court documents. We apologize for displaying unsettling documents on our campaign. We take this matter very seriously, they stated, and are taking legal action Against the parties responsible for creating the set and including unapproved items for our spring 23 campaign photo shoot now let me just zero in on a couple of words here. They said that they're going to hold and take legal action against the parties responsible well who, who could that be that's that's their own company. the parties responsible do they give away their advertising a <clears throat> away their advertising authority to someone else? And carte blanche, and we don't even approve of it, we don't... I cannot believe that the company would say, actually, we don't know what was out there, and somehow this was put out there in our name, and we didn't even know what was going on. Now, I'm not wanting to redo the whole thing and retake them to task over what's already taken place, but it does show grotesque pornography has been taking place in the fashion world. Now <clears throat> after that, now recently, just just a few days ago, there's another company that has come out and has kind of matched some of the things that Balenciaga did. And this is Benetton. Now remember the Spanish designer Balenciaga was what we just talked about, but this is Benetton. They thought well somehow it's a good idea to release an ad showing young girls posing inappropriately in underwear. The picture created an uproar. This was just the other day now, with one actress critic saying that it amounted to sexualizing little kids. But while many advertisers are shocked by these images, is it really shocking that society has reached this point, given our long-standing trajectory? That's what, what Sowen Duke from The New American writes. Now, I want to follow it up because Newsweek, has some things regarding this we'll go to break but when we come back i want to talk about what newsweek has to say about it and then i want to really reach deeper and talk about real the real cancer in our society we'll be back in just a moment now we talked about balenciaga but now in the wake of that the benetton story is is breaking just this last week here's newsweek reporting on the benetton story actress Busy Phillips slammed Italian casual wear brand Benetton for sexualizing children. And the company has since removed the offending posts. Phillips took her Instagram story on the morning of Christmas Eve to express her outrage at the Instagram photos that showed children posing in underwear while looking like adults. The photo showed two child models, which Phillips believed to be near the ages of her own kids, birdie 14 and cricket who is nine. The younger child posed in a cotton bra, an underwear set with a zip-up hoodie draped around her arms, while the other older girl wore a robe and teddy bear T-shirt was partly tucked into her underwear. And here is what one person put on Twitter. Benetton, did you learn nothing from the Balenciaga issue? We the people aren't going to let child sexualization fly. Why is this earth infested with pedophiles? Providing more detail, Newsweek uh, continues this. Phillips, best known for her television roles in series such as Freaks and Geeks and Dawson's Creeks and Cougartown, told her followers, it is so messed up. And I'm going to, I kind of uh, edited that and she never normally comments on business Instagram. I just saw this messed up Benetton ad. What's wrong with everybody? Having these is very stupid. It's sexualizing little kids. What's happening, she stated. For the record, I don't think, like all the pictures of kids wearing bathing suits or even underwear, would be sexualizing. I don't know where the disconnect is with people. They're like, well, if you see that sexualization, then that's your problem. Now, let me just, let's just think about this for a moment. What's happening, she's asking. What's happening is moral rot and decay. That's what's happening. It is, it is absolutely disgusting. And what's happening in America is happening across in the fashion industry. And it's a leader for it. One observer reacted this way. As a mother of a nine-year-old child, this makes me physically ill. The sexualization of children and our everyday lives and through media channels is what every pedophile on the planet wants to justify a future where child pornography is normalized. And it just goes on. The article goes on. Now, we can start by thinking about where did this come from? We can start by the expert turned sex researcher, Alfred Kinsey, who, of course, is championed by the homosexual agenda, who claimed that children are sexual from birth. Kinsey helped jumpstart the sexual devolution with his infamous book, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male. It was 1948, even and sexual behavior in human female. It was 1953, through which he purported that perversion was actually common in America. That was all, all of course, a grand fabricated lie. Now, unbeknownst to most people today, however, Kinsey was a scientific fraud, and he peddled invalid data. Worse still, his team was actually a pedophile operation that used so-called science to cover the proof being his presentation of what was called table 34 on which it recorded children's sexual responses. And you can use your imagination on how that kind of data was collected. Well, let me just, let's go a little bit deeper here for just a moment. In the wake of this, in the homosexual movement of America, that's what's happening here. This is the kind of thing that we can expect more of in the future. And I know this is unpopular for many people, but it is in the wake of the homosexual agenda because the homosexual agenda has always included pedophilia. For example, the North American Man Boy Love Association, NAMBLA, hardwired into the homosexual agenda. It is considered an official LGBTQ group with many local chapters in the United States, and it is something that has been exposed. I myself has exposed it At least for 30 years, preaching in pulpits, Nambla supports consensual, intergenerational relationships between men and boys, and it opposes age of consent laws. According to one news outlet, even though official Nambla chapters have many pedophiles, now call themselves minor attracted persons, that's MAPS. MAPS have their own language in the pedosphere, which is divided into boy love, sometimes abbreviated BL and girl love communities. But this is a perfect illustration of what Paul tells us, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, pertaining to the sin of homosexuality and the lawlessness that comes in its wake. Now, three times in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle tells us when homosexuality is occurring, he says God gave them up. There are three occurrences of that particular phrase. One of them is verse 24. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts unto uncleanness. Verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up into vile passions. For the women changed the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in the lust one toward another men with men working unseemliness and receiving in themselves the recompense of the error, which was due. And then verse 28, even as they refused to have God in their knowledge, God gave them up, third time it's used, unto a reprobate mind. Now, Paul lists at that point many vices, and one of the vices that he mentions is they have not natural affection. That is, it is unnatural. Homosexuality, he claims, is unnatural. And the term reprobate mind which we read just a moment ago in verse 28, means a mind that is void of discernment. That's exactly what we're talking about with pedophilia, a mind, and this is the American mind anymore frequently, too frequently, void of discernment. The ungodliness of peoples in the past that Paul has outlined in this chapter was accompanied by a depth of iniquity, The refusal to let the thought of a perfect God rule their human lives. People have refused God. They have refused a God-centered worldview. And this is what you get. Because of the peoples losing the true sense of a moral appreciation, accompanied by unnatural vices, the details of which are included. And you can read about the same things in ancient Greek and Latin writers. Without natural affection... This wording there in Romans chapter one is translated also without tenderness. Witness the unspeakable hardness of heart to which an entire society in the Roman world had descended in which entire populations flocked, for example, to circuses of blood laden, and gladiator shows. And they frantically applauded the effusion of human blood, gloated over dying agonies of the vanquished combatant and the sexual pornography that takes place. This is what's happening in our society. And it is unfortunately occurring in America because America has turned its back on God. We'll be back in just a moment. You know, one of the worst crimes that people commit is one that we don't frequently talk about. And that is ingratitude. No one appreciates a person who is ungracious. They're not thankful and not recognizing what other people do for them. And ingratitude has become so ingrained in American people that it is very frightening. But I want to go back to the cause. I want us to reach back and think about the causes of ingratitude. And primarily I'm thinking about today the welfare system. It actually breeds ingratitude. Now let's, first of all, think about how America was founded the founding of America from a very small 13 colonies on the East coast and the constitution 1787 ratified through the eight 1788 it outlawed the entire idea of transferring wealth from one person to another or the government confiscating the properties and the wealth of an individual or a company or a family and redistributing it to other people. And that was the way American system operated. Constitutional uh, welfare, rather, I should say, completely unconstitutional. As a matter of fact, and by the way, thinking about this, America became the most prosperous, the freest the most noble of all nations. That's exactly what Alexis de Tocqueville, who visited America in 1831 and 1832, thought about America. He thought this, was, this is the freest country we've ever seen. And the people are prosperous. What's more, they did not see tents all over the city and people, the homeless, living everywhere. And they didn't. There was none of that going on. That was absolutely not what was seen in the streets of America. That was 1831, 1832 is mentioned. And do you know, by the time of the turn of the century, America was the breadbasket of the world. That is, we fed most of the world or half of the world, I should say, 50% of the world. We were, we were exporting food to half of the world. Feeding half the world, even though, mind you this, we had only 6% of the world's population in 1900. 6% feeding 50%. What's the problem? What was going on with the rest of the world? Socialism. That's what it was. Totalitarian governments, kingships, monarchies, queenships, military dictatorships, controlling the production of the world. That's what was going on. We didn't have more resources than the continent of South America. We certainly don't have, and even that's the case today, and we don't have the resources more than the continent of Africa or Europe or Asia. No, we don't have more resources, naturally speaking, natural resources, than those nations. What was the key? What was the key to success? The key was freedom, and that was it allowed that as the Constitution set in motion the allowance of the American people to enjoy the greatest freedom, as John Adams put it, since, t- since the time of Adam and Eve. Remarkable. And we did not have a welfare system. Actually, the welfare system transferring by government fiat money from one person to another, taxing and redistributing was unconstitutional. They said it cannot be done. I want to read the statement to you. From Samuel Adams. Samuel Adams pointed out, and the the key to our freedom and the key to our prosperity in America is the government was designed to provide or guarantee, I should say, not provide, guarantee equal rights. Guarantee, that is, protect equal rights, but not provide equal things. So here's how Samuel Adams one of the key founding fathers, cousin of John Adams, put it. The utopian schemes of leveling, that's redistribution of wealth, and a community of goods that would be the central ownership of the means of production and distribution, that's communism. This is, are these these utopian schemes, that's what he called all of these things, socialism, communism, fascism, all of them are utopian schemes. And they're, by the way, All of them are on the left. Fascism is on the left. Socialism is on the left. Communism is on the left. Unlike what you're told by your professors at universities who tell us that fascism is way over on the right. No, 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 no. No, it's a utopian scheme of government control. These utopian schemes are as visionary, this is Samuel Adams, listen carefully, visionary and impracticable as those which vest all property in the crown. These ideas are arbitrary, despotic, and in our government, get this word, unconstitutional. That's right, unconstitutional. Prior to the creation of the welfare state, which took place in the progressive, so-called progressive era, charity was practiced by individuals. Charity was practiced by churches. Charity was practiced by private organizations. That's the formula of the Founding Fathers. That's why they didn't have a border problem because people coming over here were not automatically entitled to the taxpayer money that we are now distributing all over the place. No, they didn't have that. So they didn't have a problem. By the way, that will be another show. The border problem is a welfare problem. You take away the redistribution, confiscation and redistribution, unconstitutional of money, and you don't have a border problem anymore at all. So, so successful was the formula of the founding fathers. There's no record of people dying on the streets because of lack of food, shelter, or medical assistance. You don't have that at all in the 19th century. But enter the welfare state, primarily through the efforts of FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, 1930s, 1940s, America strayed wildly from the Constitution, on this matter particularly, and the government created a public trough funded by taxpayers. FDR knew it was unconstitutional. He preached against it while he was governor of New York, and while he was candidate for president, he said it will not be done. This is unconstitutional. He knew it was unconstitutional. And when he became president, He changed, as so many of them do. He changed, and when he tried to cram through welfare programs through the different ideas that he had, do you know that all nine justices of the Supreme Court, every one of them, struck down every New Deal that would be welfare scheme as unconstitutional? But through power politics... From which America has never recovered, the welfare state of the federal government was created. I heard a man say just this is kind of interesting just the other day. And he was uh, a guest on Fox News. He said, you know, FDR warned us that, well, you can't don't take advantage of the welfare system. You better not take advantage of. You know what? He may have he may have said a statement similar to that, but he knew what he was doing. FDR did. He knew it was unconstitutional and that there was no stopping it once you got started. And that's exactly where we are today. Instead, the welfare system has bred the opposite of its stated goal of alleviating the poor. Not only has poverty continued to rise in America, but the sense of entitlement has followed with the worst of crimes, ingratitude. Ingratitude has become commonplace. And this has now morphed so much into a boiling hatred that one class of people has for another and minorities have for the white majority. And you can hear it and feel it and see it in minority communities. There is a hatred seething. What has caused it? Ingratitude. What caused ingratitude? The welfare system has bred it, ladies and gentlemen. And it's not just in minority communities. It's also in the white community because people are on the government dole. Don't talk. Don't take away my cell phone that Obama gave me back in Obama's day. No, they get all angry about it. Now, you look at the statistics, for example, of the state sponsored welfare state. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, this was in 2012, several years ago. Approximately 21.3 percent of the United States population participated in in major means-tested government-assisted programs each month, participation rates in that year for Black population was 41.6 percent, almost half of them. Hispanics was at 36.4, and Asians or Pacific Islanders 14 or 17.8, and then non-Hispanic whites at 13.2. Now, this is what I wanted to get to. Stating the obvious, the U.S. Census Bureau made this comment. That blacks were more likely to participate in government assistance programs in an average month. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means simply this: that you're going to find more ingratitude in the minority communities than you are in the majority community. That is not to say that the majority community doesn't or not, is not afflicted with the same sin, but it is to say it exponentially rises as welfare increases, and that's exactly what we find going on in America. Now we're having people coming across the border, and what's the big attraction? What's the big magnet that draws them? Welfare, free money, free stuff, free hospitalization, free education, free everything. And it makes them people who are ungracious. Well, added to that, not simply free money, but you have affirmative action programs that have been touted as necessary to fight racism. Our entire culture is saturated with affirmative action practices from educational institutions, medical schools, law schools, even the military. But instead of alleviating racial animosity, the only enduring lesson that is being ingrained in America is that what? We have systemic racism in the white community. How's that come about? How's that feeling come about? not because of reality, I'll tell you that, not because of reality, but because of a welfare system in which meritocracy is nothing and instead skin color is everything. It's a sad situation. That's what's happening in America. I want you to consider another example from the Bible. Luke chapter 4, our Lord came to Nazareth his hometown where he grew up his hometown was Bethlehem he grew up also in Nazareth he came to the synagogue preached there but he was despised by his fellow townsmen and he made the comment in the wake of that and said that a prophet is not without honor save in his own country now what does that mean that meant simply that they didn't appreciate him there was no gratitude there the biblical scholar R.C. Foster said This He's over 100 years ago regarding this rejection. He said, the worst of crimes is this one, ingratitude. It is often true that the more that is done for an unworthy people, the less they appreciate it, the more they presume upon the generosity of others and grow in the false grandeur of their own conceit. It's exactly where we are in America, isn't it? The more money that is showered, the more free stuff that is given, the more ingratitude that we see. We'll be back in a moment. In the last segment, I want to talk a little bit more, just fill out the details regarding how welfare warps reality. There are a lot of points that we want to make. I don't know if I can get through them all, but the welfare system that we have in America simply warps reality. And things are becoming worse primarily because of that welfare system. And I want to use Obamacare and nationalized health care as an example so we'll talk about it for just a few moments. First of all, and I'm, the main point is how it warps reality. How so? Well, health care that is paid for by the taxpayer is not yours. It is in reality mine, the taxpayer, the one who pays the bills. Because the government steals my earnings, the more the better, according to Democrats, and redistributes them to you does not make it yours consider education. K through 12 students are becoming increasingly ungrateful across our nation. Witness the classrooms, for example, completely out of control and demanding the, the mentality in high school students. Some schools are simply handing out diplomas to many students, simp- just handing them out, not because they're earned, simply because they're just participating. They're there It might be causing chaos in the school, but they're going to give them out. Free education. That's what happens. People become disenchanted. They become ungrateful for what they have. So, number one, health care is not really yours. If it's paid for by the taxpayer, it's the taxpayers. Secondly, I want you to notice that health care is a service. It is not a right. Let's just stop for a moment. Let's consider automobile service. I take my car to the shop and my car has to be fixed. I had to pay a pretty hefty bill recently regarding fixing our Jeep. And all right, the, the person who worked on that, the mechanics who worked on that Jeep, that was, they provided a service and I had to pay the bill for it because they provided that service. What would it be like if I came in there and said, you know what? Automobile service is my right. Well, that changes the dynamics of the discussion entirely, doesn't it? Because it it assumes that someone else has got to pay this bill. It's my right. What would that mean? Well, if the government's going to be involved and say automobile service is my right, then that means the auto mechanic who went to school paid perhaps his dues in school. and And those auto mechanics, they know quite a bit anymore. They have to go to school. They have to go to trade schools. They have to continue in education, continue on the computer systems and the cars. All that they had to pay for for that, or the company paid for them to go, now that is to simply say, they have to work for me for free. Someone's got to pay that bill. They're, they're working for free for me because if it's my right that they fix my car, then they are actually footing the bill themselves. That's exactly the same thing regarding health care. Health care is a service that is provided. Someone may say, well, you know, your, your body is worth more than your car. They, absolutely, true, And I think that's kind of peculiar for people to make that kind of an argument because so many people don't believe in God who are in socialism and in the socialistic camp. They don't believe in God at all, and they don't believe your body is any different than any m- machine at all. It's just, a, it's just a matter machine that is a machine made of matter just like your car is. There's no difference except the arrangement of the matter. So, after all, you, your body, health care providing, someone servicing that body of yours, all you're saying is they should be forced by the government to pay for your health care. That is absolutely wrong. The point simply is health care is a service. It's not a right. Here's something else public welfare dulls the incentives that are placed by God designed to encourage us to work. God has given us incentives to work and those incentives are hunger. Those incentives are thirst, the need for shelter, the need for companionship. I need to get out and earn those. I'm not saying that people don't need assistance occasionally. That's always the case that we need to assist individuals with Christian love, but, the Bible teaches plainly, if a man doesn't work, neither let him eat. That is, the, that is God-given formula. If a man doesn't work, neither let him eat. Hunger is given to people by God in order to give them an incentive to work. And so here's how it was done in the 19th century. There were, there were for example, many churches and many organizations that were non-church organizations that actually provided for poor people. But here's how they would do it. They would say, here comes a man that's living on the street, and he wants a place to sleep tonight. Okay, that's fine. You go out here, and you chop wood. And you chop wood for half a day, we'll give you a meal. You chop wood for the next half a day, we'll give you another meal and a place to stay. And that wood will be able to be used for the poor and the infirm and the elderly in the community that can't take care of themselves, and we will be able to provide heat. So they provided a service. They were given what they wanted, a place to stay and, and meals. That's how they did it. And you know they had a much better system than we have today. They didn't have tent cities living, all uh, tent cities all over the streets of America, whether it be in San Francisco, Portland, or Seattle, or even in Austin, Texas, people living under bridges. That was not the way it was done. No, that's... So the point simply is, the incentives that are given by God to work. And when we automatically just give people stuff and give them free things in the welfare system. We remove the incentives that God has placed in them in order to create them or give them that desire to work. Here's something else we tend to think, and this is how welfare warps reality. We tend to think that those politicians that increase welfare spending are compassionate. I, you know, I get so tired of hearing the Democrats and even Republicans, the compassionate conservatives, talking, we are the compassionate ones? Really, how compassionate are you? How much of your own money do you put into it? That's compassion. Is not compassion for me to go to Congress and pass a law forcing you to pay for your neighbor. That's not compassion. No, that's force. And we have lost our sensibilities in America because we think that compassion is in the Democrat purse. Nancy Pelosi's and the Chuck Schumer's and Joe Biden's are not compassionate. No, no, they are. They are simply wielding the power of this big stick and forcing you to pay. That's not their compassion at all. And it's not your compassion either if they're forcing you to do it, which is what laws do. And that warps, the reality becomes warped. No compassion is me seeing someone in need and me giving to that person. I asked a person, got into a little uh, Facebook debate with an individual about a year, two years ago, I don't know. And I asked this woman, I said, you know, <clears throat> she talked about when, when Trump was president. So it was, I guess it was several, several years ago. And we're talking about the border and people coming across the border And she was all upset because children in cages and, oh, my, my, what are we going to do? You don't hear about that anymore. You don't hear Biden's doing it, but you don't hear that anymore. Oh, the children in cages. And she said, you Republicans need to be more compassionate. I said, I asked her, I said, how many children, how many illegal aliens have you taken into your home and are taken care of? She got so angry at me. She said, I don't want to talk to you anymore at all. You don't know anything about me. I said, well, I do know one thing. You're not doing any of that. No, that's compassion. It's not compassion to say, we're going to pass the law, and you, Bill Lockwood, are going to have to pay more money. That's force. That's not compassion. Now, we, we have lost sight of what real compassion is. Compassion is me taking out my wallet and giving to someone else. That's what compassion is. Consider a couple of other things real quickly before we go to, I was going to say go to break. We're not going to break. We're actually finishing. And this is from Benjamin Franklin. He made a couple of comments here regarding relieving the misfortunes of other people. He said to relieve the misfortunes of our fellow creatures is concurring with deity. It is godlike. But if we provide encouragement for laziness and supports for folly, that is people sinning, How many people on welfare drink alcohol, drugs, participate in all kinds, you know, go get tattoos? How many people do that with your money? We may, he continuing Franklin said, we may now be found fighting against the order of God and nature, which perhaps has appointed want and misery as the proper punishment for and cautions against as well as the necessary consequences of idleness and extravagance. You know how many people have talked on the news and, and in person with me, and you've heard it too, how idle and non-working America is becoming a non-working society. Why is that the case? Because of this right here. That's why. The welfare system put in place has eaten like a canker, has eaten like a disease that has corrupted and corroded over time, just like rust in a pipe. Rust begins to build and begins to build, and pretty soon the water trickles very slowly, doesn't it? It takes time. But after a while, it simply shuts off the water. And that's exactly what happens in the welfare system in society. It shuts off the work ethic that's going on. Listen. This is, the, why, this is why I call it Patriotic Pulpit, because this is about patriotism back to the Constitution. We need to go back to these particular principles. Benjamin Franklin continued, whenever we attempt to amend the scheme of providence and to interfere with the government of the world, we had need be very circumspect, lest we do more harm than good. Exactly so.